super excited for this episode of the podcast. I've got somebody who's really out there hustling. His name is Ryan Neris. Ryan started with nothing, no money, no experience, no network, lots of student debt, and now has 10 mobile home parks spanning over 1,200 units and a podcast dedicated to running mobile home parks in real life. Awesome story, awesome experiences. Let's get to it and hustle the day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent, and I am very honored to have Ryan Naris here with me today. Ryan has a fantastic story, and he'll do a better job introducing himself than I will. So, Ryan, why don't you jump in here and tell us about yourself? Thanks, Trent. I am honored to be here, and the gist of it is I was lied to my whole life. Hey, you're a millennial. Study really hard in school, then you'll go to a good university, and then you'll graduate and have a good job and work really hard at that good job, and then you get to retire on a beach somewhere. Turns out about all of that was not true, especially now that Aunt Becky is going to prison. You can even buy your way into good universities with bad, you know, with rich enough parents and bad grades. So the idea that you have to work really hard to get into a really good university is complete crap. Anyway, my... The gist of what happened to me is I did exactly that. I studied really, really hard. I wasn't smart enough to go to Ivy League, so I went to what I thought was the next best thing, which is Wake Forest University. Let's go, Deeks. It was uh, my life goal to go to Wake. I was I grew up in Winston-Salem and loved watching Tim Duncan grow up and Chris Paul, so that was kind of a dream. But I go there, and then I found my way into corporate America, I had four corporate jobs. Every one of them was either depressing or eventually would have been if you're catching my drift. And I just felt stuck, you know, stuck and trapped. I went back and I got my master's degree. So I like doubled down on this idea that <laughs> education would take me to the promised land. And eventually I went, look, no one's going to, the, the, no one is going to take a chance on me. And if no one's going to do that and I feel like I have something to offer this world, then I'm going to take a chance on myself. And so the story we're going to talk about today is pretty much exactly that. How if you're listening in and you're, I'm 32 years old, so I'm a millennial. And how you may or may not be like me, rattled with student loan debt, no money because you live in a big city, so cost of living is outrageous. And then you get used to a certain lifestyle and then you have all this these ridiculous things that don't actually make you happy that make you further stuck in a career and depressed and how I escaped that and, and how you can look at me as kind of a case study and go, I can do that too. Because like Trent and I were talking about before we hit record, I'm, I'm really nothing special. I just didn't quit. And it's not that you, you also got to be smart about it too and take the, the right risks, strategic risks. So we can get to, into all of that. But if, if you get, if you take away one thing from me today, it's that no one is going to take a chance on you. You need to take a chance on yourself. That's very cool. I, I like that you brought up, you know, the, the whole university idea. And, you know, I think that's something that people are talking about more that it's not always the right path for everybody. Uh, but you're not alone in that. There's been several people I've interviewed where they did the exact same thing. Oh, I'm feeling stuck. Let's go back to school and get an additional degree or get a master's, get a doctorate, whatever the case may be. So you're definitely not alone in thinking 
hey, this is the way that's going to get me out of being stuck. And for a lot of people, that's that's not the case. One thing that I have yet to hear anyone really say is the truth. And let me explain what I mean by that. A degree is a tool. It's nothing more than that. And so like, for example, yesterday I was reading this extremely contentious debate on LinkedIn where this woman made this post about how she basically didn't go to college and now she's wealthy and forget college it's stupid right and so then all the people with phds chime in and they're like well, well no you need it for certain jobs and blah, 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 blah. And, and i didn't want to post because i don't like getting in arguments with people i will never meet and never <laughs> convince otherwise but the funny thing was that people who are pro college went to college people who are anti-college didn't go to college i went to college i got a master's degree and here is the right answer to this question it is a tool nothing more nothing less if you want to be a plumber and you go out and buy expensive plumbing equipment, is that going to make you a good plumber? Is that going to make you show up on time? Is that going to make people want to hire you to fix their plumbing? No. If you already have the skills, will it take you to that next level? Yes, absolutely. That is, that is education in a nutshell. It will absolutely take you to that next level, but just because you have it doesn't mean it's going to get you to that next level. You have to have that potential and that, that desire to, to go to the next level. Otherwise, you just spend a bunch of money on a fancy thing with a bunch of bells and whistles. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I, I like that you put it that way. It is a tool. It is something that you can use, but it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change your, right. your habits, your ethics. It's, it's just that, a tool that needs to be used in a certain way. So I, I think you're definitely right on there. And uh, if it wasn't already a contentious argument, then I think uh, your, <laughs> your input would be very valued there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you obviously have gone down this path. You've, mm-hmm. you've kind of figured out your groove of, you know, how you plan to um, spend the rest of your life in, in a work aspect. Who was most influential on you to to make Ryan who he is today to decide the, those things? I really don't think that's <clears throat> fair to pick one person. I would say that probably the most relevant person I could pick for the audience's sake is my current and probably number one mentor right now. And the reason why I would pick him is because he is, it's like Chris Sarka says, what's your unfair advantage? So I do mobile home parks. I'm in real estate. And my unfair advantage is that I have a former chief investment officer of a, of a multi-billion dollar REIT who's my mentor. That's not fair. If folks trying to get into real estate who have a really tiny network or you have a decent network, but no one really like truly understands real estate from that high a level, like that's just not fair. Mm-hmm. that's taking a bazooka to try to kill a little fly, right? So the, what we'll get into in a little bit with my story is if you were to ask me about 10 years ago, how many millionaires could I call or text or reach out to and in 24 hours get a warm response from? Mm-hmm. About 10 years ago, I could confidently tell you the answer to that was zero. Yeah. And I went on an absolute networking binge. And because of that, I was able to find this individual 
And because I now have this individual and 99 out of 100 other similar people told me no, because I went through the years and years and years of trying to find this person, and now that I have this person, now that we jive extraordinarily well, he's able to basically inject rocket fuel into my game. And vice versa, we've, we've both learned a ton from each other. So mentor-mentee relationship isn't necessarily one-way street. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you, the reason why I want to pick this example for your audience is because eventually, if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up, so to speak, you don't know what you, you want to do, then you need a different type of mentor. But if you were like me, and after years and years of looking and trying, looking at over 100 different businesses to start, including starting three businesses and having all of them kind of go nowhere. Like Eventually, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And once I hit that, I found the perfect mentor to, to take me to that next level. That's very cool. And you, you mentioned that you went on a networking binge to mm-hmm. be able to find this person. Um, so I've recently had somebody on the podcast who said, you know, money is conversations. And you know, you find money by having the conversations, not necessarily by seeing they're banging your head against the wall saying, how do I sell this? How do I sell this? You know, so tell me a little bit more about this networking binge that you went on. I'm, I'm a little curious about that. Yeah. So there's, this is going to sound a little weird, but I'm going to start over, over here and then get back to over here, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. There's a book called Give and Take. Fantastic book. And basically the gist of it is there are three types of people. There are givers, there are takers, and there are matchers. The overwhelming majority of people are matchers. I give you this, you get, I get this, right? So quid pro quo, right? So most people fit into that bucket. They they expect that if I go and do something, I'm going to get this in return. And then there's the sliver of folks who they don't, they basically just want to take, 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 take. And then there are people like me who just give, 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 give. I don't care to get anything in return. So for me, going on a networking binge is easy because I'll just talk to anyone. I don't care. I don't know who, like, I remember when I started off, I was in my t- mid-20s. I had no idea how to network. So I went, I'll talk to anybody. I don't care. You're unemployed? Great. Let's sit down. You're a uh, Fortune 500 CEO? Great. Let's sit down. And I, I literally have met a, a handful of uh, like three CEOs of major companies. And I have to tell you, yeah, they were brilliant. But... I also got some really brilliant insight from people you would never expect. Mm-hmm. Unemployed people, people who are in completely different realms of, of, of age, weight, health, career path, whatever. If you just start talking to anyone and don't expect anything in return, be a giver like I am. Just I don't expect anything in return. You will find all of a sudden you meet all sorts of crazy folks with all sorts of crazy stories and you start looking at the world through different perspectives. And if you want to be 1% wealthy one day, you need to realize that you're not going to do that conventionally unless you're 1% good at something. Yeah, if You're 1% smart or 1% hardworking, or sometimes you have to be 1% smart and 1% hardworking. And even then you still have to be 1% lucky. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like if you can't be 1% at something, because I certainly can't, there's one really easy way to be 1%. Be 1% willing to do what others aren't. And for me, I was willing to just put myself out there and meet anyone who had a pulse, literally anyone. 
And I'm still that way. I'll talk, I don't, I'll talk to anyone. I don't care. And th- the reason is because I'm not a matcher and I'm not a taker. I'm a giver. I, and I, like, like I'll say at the end of this episode, I, like, please reach out to me. I will help you. I don't need a thing in return. And kind of the what's in it for me is I get to meet you. And you may not be able to do anything for me ever. You know, there are 99 people may never be able to do anything for me, but that one out of 100 will inject steroids into what I'm trying to do. And so that's the, that was my mentality to, to building my network. That's very cool. I, I like that you, you know, understand your strength and that you're willing to just go out there and do that 1%, you know, do something that other people are not willing to do because a lot of people won't take meetings unless they feel like you're going to elevate them or uh, they're going to get something out of you. So I, I think that's huge to people who are having trouble getting their foot in the door, more or less, uh, that you're willing to just talk to anyone and uh, hear anybody out. And I have no doubt that you've learned a lot of great things from people who you would have not expected. How is it that you decided that the corporate world wasn't for you and you decide I'm, I'm getting into starting my own business? A lot of introspection. Probably my best advice that no one takes is know thyself. You need, you have to, you have to understand who you are. Uh, Steve Jobs has a million famous quotes, but probably one of my favorites is, you know, Steve, you got fired from the company you founded. You hit a really low point. Then you started, then you basically grew Pixar and then next, and then you got back to Apple and revived Apple. Like how, how did this happen after getting beaten down in the worst way? And his responses to many words is, I loved it. You know, it wasn't about the money. I loved it. And the thing of it is, he's right. I've had so many days where I should, I should have quit. There's so many times in my almost five years of doing mobile home parks where I had every reason in the world to quit. I had no money. I had no experience. I had no network. I had nothing. I had no, ways of, I had no means of buying anything. I was in no danger. of even, Maybe I could have bought a mobile home. <laughs> but I had I was in no danger of, of starting a mobile home park business and flash forward would not have been a part of twelve deals, over twenty million dollars in assets. It like I love it. And when you love something, you don't stop. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the the chase of money or the chase of fame or the chase of something fleeting. It's about a, just a desire to be doing what you what you love. Mm-hmm. And so my best advice that I, I, I very rarely see folks take is stop and take time understanding who you are. And I'll tell you why no one takes this advice, because it's so easy not to. It's so yeah. easy. Oh, yeah, I know who I am. Come on, man. I, I know me. No, you don't. I don't really know me. I think I know me. If I don't know me, then you don't know you. And the reason why that's so important is because no matter what lot you choose in life, it is going to be really hard and you're going to get beaten down and you're going to want to quit. And if you, you don't have something that is really, truly driving you, just a pure love and a pure passion for whatever it is that you're doing, a higher meaning and a higher purpose, you're going to quit. Yeah. It's going, it, it will happen. You are going to get beaten down no matter what you choose in life. You have to love it. 
And there is nothing better to do for your business before you started it and even after you started it to just take some time and just ask yourself really tough questions like, did I pick the right career? You know, is this a sunk cost? You know, it's, it's really hard to spending 60 grand plus on a master's degree and asking yourself, did I waste my time and my money? The answer might be yes. And it's really hard to hear that. It's really hard to let your ego take that beating, but that can also be the best decision you've ever made to honestly answer questions like that. So you can get to the root of what am I supposed to be when I grow up? So then you can find, because it took me years after, after asking that question to find what I was meant to do when I grow up. And then once I found it, it was just otherworldly excitement. And it, I, the honeymoon has yet to fade for me five years into it. So I'm telling you, it is worth the pain. Go figure out who you are and what you're supposed to be when you grow up. That's great. I, I think a lot of people don't do that, like you said, because, I mean, they can deal with uncomfortable situations when it deals with other people. But when it's dealing with yourself, that's hard for a lot of people to get uncomfortable with, with themselves and who they are. And, you know, like, I, like you said, kind of ask those hard questions about yourself. Uh, but definitely knowing your why, your, your reason to, um, to get excited, to get out of bed. I mean, those are important things that you need to know as well. Uh, or else, like you said, you probably will quit, which is something that you've never done, which I've talked to a lot of high performing individuals, uh, in, in my life. And they're just normal people who never quit on their dream. And, uh, like you mentioned, you bet on yourself, which is, which is awesome because you are mentioned you're already living your own dream. Well, Bill Burr is probably my favorite comedian right now. And he has this awesome quote that in so many words is spend your twenties on a futon mm-hmm. and spend your thirties on a futon. And he's like, look, it may feel awful being on a futon, making no money, chasing your dream, but it's so much better than the guy who's at a job he doesn't like buying stuff to impress people he also doesn't like mm-hmm. in a questionable marriage with a bunch of kids and, and he's laying there in a nice bed, a nice king size bed in a nice home, absolutely miserable, dreaming about being on that futon. And I, I, I love that quote. Uh, he's, he's a very controversial figure. But I love that quote because I've, I've done it precisely that. I, when I started my mobile home park business, I mean, I did not go full-time for two years into it. And then my first 14 months after going full-time, I paid myself a whole lot of nothing. I moved into a mobile home. Mm-hmm. I slept on a blow-up mattress. And I don't know if you knew this about mobile homes, but they do, they're like tin cans. They do not hold heat and cool in very well. And you can say what you want about the city of Atlanta, call it hot Atlanta all you want. My friend, it gets cold there in the wintertime and you have to move <laughs> your blow up mattress to the middle of the mobile home and have this everything on high and wear a sweater and like three layers of clothes and a couple blankets and you're still shivering. So yeah, I mean, you have to have those moments and the, the, for me, so I cut my salary by more than half by quitting a, a big bank to go to work for myself and to literally go and, and live in a mobile home every other week for 14 months. And um, I, I've got to say, when you cut out these, this stupid crap that you're buying 
and you laser focus on, okay, what are the essentials? You find what you ultimately didn't really care about Mm -hmm. and what you ultimately do really care about. And the funny thing of it is with basically no money coming in, I, I, I had more fun than when I was making over double. I can't put into words how important it is to really, truly know yourself and really, truly know what am I doing that's making me happy? What am I doing that's not? And can I be honest with myself to the point where I go, wow, that was really stupid. So I've just, I don't know, maybe in my life, I just, I've just realized that I would rather look stupid, but have the right answer than have the wrong answer, but get to save face. There you go. I, I really like that a lot. That's a, that's something I'll, I'll, probably use again <laughs> I'd, I'd rather have the right answer I, I understand uh, that's something that's uh, taken a little bit of time for me to understand because a lot of the time I would have saved face so uh, easier we, yeah it is it is easier we've all been there for sure uh, so you're sitting in a uh, sitting on a mattress a blow-up mattress in mobile home in Atlanta, but you're happy. You're, you're in, in, you're happy with your path, but we all have failures that we kind of stumble upon. Um, what would you say has been your biggest failure in your entrepreneurial journey so far? And what have you learned from it? I mean, there's a bunch of failures I could point to probably the most relevant one to your listeners would be our second mobile home uh, park acquisition. We, we, in so many words, didn't check the water bills or we did, we underestimated what was going on with the infrastructure. And the thing of it is the, there's a lot of hype in my industry right now. Oh, you know, you own the dirt, they own the home. So it doesn't, you know, you're, you have a, uh, basically a parking lot for mortgages. So it's like, yeah, it's really sexy, right? Affordable housing. There's not much of it. So high demand, low supply. Yeah, that's that's great, but there's also because there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of overly optimistic underwriting, and thankfully because we had no money to start out, and basically our second deal, we took an acquisition fee for that we had on the first to buy the second, and when we did this, thankfully we bought it at a low enough price that. When we checked the water bills and we're like, oh, this is not a big deal. We're going to install submeters on the homes and, and go uh, get certified with the North Carolina Utilities Commission and pass through that water because the park had been paying for all everyone's water use. And that $5,000 uh, uh, every other month bill, so 2500 bucks a month, which, that's just going to go away, mm-hmm. right? Because we're just going to install the submeters. Well, it turns out, that we're only collecting like seven hundred to nine hundred dollars a month. Hmm. So you're talking about almost two thousand dollars a month going directly into the ground. Yeah, for a leak we could not find, and still, for the life of us, have no idea where it was because we just spent something like over one hundred fifty thousand dollars on doing all kind of infrastructure work on this property, and magically the build just went away. And now it, it matches what we bill back. But that was several years coming and we didn't pay any distributions to our investor for 18 months mm-hmm. because it was, atro- it was just atrocious. But here's, you know, here's, the, here's the lesson there. The lesson isn't just, yeah, check the water bills. <laughs> the lesson is, is, a, is a bunch of different things. First and foremost, 
don't be overly optimistic because in your underwriting because you can't, oh, yeah, I'll just pass all of that through. No, no, go and talk to people. Go and learn from, from others' mistakes. If you, if you talk to people, you'll find that most water bill back is like hovers around on average about 80%. So first and foremost, to think that we're going to pass 100% of the water through is wrong, period. Yeah. But more so than that, understanding on average how much each household would use mm-hmm. and then going, hey, wait a second, maybe there's, maybe there's a, little, a little something deeper going on here. Maybe digging deeper, talking to the owner a little bit more uh, to understand that. But the the real important lesson there is for me at least, is you, you have to understand what you're doing if you're going to start to get really overly optimistic. So now I can start to get a little bit more creative with my performance, so to speak, because I've done this over 10 times now. Mm-hmm. So I've seen things explode in my face. I've literally lived it. I've consumed the product that I'm selling. And because of that, I can now make better assumptions. And that's really it. When you're making a pro forma, I remember when I got my master's degree, this is one of my favorite lessons from getting my MBA. It was my strategy professor. He goes, all right, hypothetically, you spend a week putting together this pro forma for an acquisition. And he's like, and then the, the IRR that you get is like, you know, something point six seven seven two seven nine nine three. So it's, it's got like a bunch of decimal points. He's like, what does this tell you? As of course, you're like, I don't know, Professor Beligo. What does it tell us? <laughs> and he's like, what it tells you is that you think this crap is the truth. Hmm. And he's like, if you spend a week doing something and it gives you a really precise answer, it is going to be extremely persuasive making you think you have the right answer when the truth is you're guessing. The truth is Microsoft Excel just gave you an output based on the input that you you gave. Garbage in, garbage yep. out. And there's another great quote in so many words that went, there's been more fiction written in Microsoft Excel than Microsoft Word. <laughs> so the the lesson that I have there is is you know, yeah, obviously you don't want to get into paralysis, analysis paralysis. But at the same time, the better your assumptions are, the better you will you will do. And and thankfully that property has been pretty darn good to us, despite having to spend, geez, like almost 40% of the purchase price fixing the roads and the infrastructure and everything. So it, it, thankfully we bought that for the right price that that didn't kill us. And not only did not kill us, but we're able to give back to our residents and, and improve the quality of, the, of, of everything without having to basically go bankrupt or take out a bunch of new loans. Or, you know, we, if we had gotten overly optimistic on that, the crazy thing is water bills could have bankrupt us. I think that is the, the really important lesson there is whatever business you pick, don't let the water bills, so to speak, be the thing that sinks you. Make sure you are diligent on everything yet finding that elegant balance of, you know, being, you know, being the astronaut who goes, we're going to do it. But at the same time going, all right, well, I'm not, you know, so I'm not going to let analysis paralysis kill me, but at the same time, I'm not going to do anything stupid like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll just, we'll collect all of the water. 
Wow, that's quite quite the story. Uh, I love the the that you bought it well enough that you didn't you know it didn't sink you. But uh, uh, no pun intended there. But uh, it's it's something that we definitely need to understand the the whole Excel thing, you know, more fiction written in that than Microsoft word. That's just, it's brilliant, but it really is true. I mean, you, you put numbers in that you think are right. Well, they may not be right, obviously. And so, uh, I appreciate that you, that you shared that story with us because I mean, it, it was a failure, but you've learned something from it. Absolutely. So that's, that's the big thing with, with failure points is you need to learn something from it. So it doesn't happen again. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've talked about the fact that you're doing mobile home parks. Um, what got you into that? What did, what made you think mobile home parks? Whereas, you know, like we talked about before, typically people think, okay, single family homes, multi-unit duplexes, then apartments, then, you know, what what made you decide on mobile home parks as your avenue for real estate development? Yeah, I, look, I, first and foremost, it, it all came back to self discovery. That whole self discovery thing. So I, you know, I realized that I was I was meant to be an entrepreneur, and as soon as that, which was huge, because as soon as you go, I'm meant to own my own business. Then you just have to find what business is you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. What what is it going to be for you and uh, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I just went. This it's real estate. I'm meant to be in real estate, so it's just it's a question of what. And so I first was like, all right, I'll be a landlord. And my first bout of being a landlord went awfully. I moved into my friends, and they never <laughs> paid me, and I don't talk to them anymore. And it's really sad because they were really close friends. Yeah. And so lesson learned: maybe I'm not, you know, meant to be the best landlord. So then what I tried to do was start a company with a coworker of mine and he had a construction background and I have no ability to fix anything. So I went, great, I've got the business mind. He's got the construction background, will be a great team. And that went a whole nowhere, whole lot of nowhere. <laughs> and what I realized in, in that was your limiting factor is going to be your time because it, are you going to want to be the one putting the cabinets up and fixing the drywall and stuff like that? Uh, because if you're doing that, you're not doing the higher dollar activity, which is finding the next deal. Right. So I went, okay, what area of real estate do I not necessarily have to be the one doing the painting and the drywalling and stuff like that? But I definitely want to do residential. And I can't compete for an apartment complex because I have no money. Right. So in other words, how can I do it in scale? How can I do it without having to really fix much myself at least? And how can I make it multifamily? And uh, once I was able to ask all of those questions, as soon as mobile home parks hit me right in the face, it was a no brainer. Absolutely. When you break it down that way, it's like, oh yeah, that is, that is a no brainer. Uh, Something I'm going to have to start looking into because like we talked about before we started recording, you know, I, I flip houses and I'm not very hands-on because I just that's just not a skill set that I have. I've obviously had to do it, um, but there's there's times where you know I have to give away profit to have somebody more skilled do it, um, and you know I've had that discussion with myself about 
jumping to multi-unit and whatnot. And the way you just broke it down is like, wow, that really is brilliant. That is, <laughs> that's the perfect formula for somebody like myself. <laughs> you, you know, the thing of it is my, like the, my mentor that I mentioned earlier, he's one of the smartest guys I know, but if you met him, he it, it, what is so brilliant about him is his ability to make things just so simple. You're like, like I feel stupid for even asking him certain questions because he makes <laughs> the answers so obvious in your face and you're like, wow, it's, it's really that simple, huh? And the reason why I bring that up is because, uh, especially if you're like me and you were kind of the bottom of the top, if that makes any sense, like I, I, like I, I was in the honors classes and AP and blah, 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 right? So like academically, I was, was good, but I was right. like kind of like the bottom of that class. Like I never would, I would never be smart enough to go to Ivy League. That being said, Wake Forest is a really good school, right? And I was like an average applicant to Wake. So I'm, you know, I'm smart enough to be in the smart, with the smart kids, but like I'm at the bottom of that kind of bucket. And the reason why that's really important to, to kind of look at here is if you're going to compete with those people who want to make things more complicated because they want to think they're outsmarting other people. The truth is it all comes back to Jim Collins, good to great hedgehog concept. How easily can I make this right? The, sure. Sometimes the Fox wins out, but really what's your mousetrap? What's going to make things easy. And if you hear my story and you're like, Oh, that's easy, Ryan. Like you just, you said X, Y, and Z, and you knew that. And so that was just easy for you. Yeah, that took me almost 10 years to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And it took me a whole lot of like sorting through myself and sorting through what I could and couldn't do and sorting through sunk costs and sorting through all this stuff. So like, is it, was it a no-brainer at the time? Yes, but it took so long to get to that point. So if you like true intelligence, in my opinion, is making something so painfully simple that it doesn't slow down your decision making process because you're trying to make things complicated because you're trying to show off to someone else that you're trying to outsmart. Like, you know, the funny thing is the library is all like the gym. You go to the gym to pump iron and all your buddies are just bragging about how much they could lift or, you know, and it's like, dude, it's, it's the same thing in the library. So it, it, your, it, what it'll come down for you, for anyone listening in, is your ability to make things so painfully simple that it's a no-brainer. So when you're listening to someone like me talk, you're like, oh, man, he's just lucky. No, I'm not. It took a lot of time to get to make it that simple. Yeah, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier of, you know, you had to get uncomfortable with yourself, get, asking you those questions, you know, deep interest, introspection. Um, those things that people aren't willing to do, that advice that you're giving that people aren't willing to do usually. It took that to be able to get to where you are. Gotta do it. Yeah. <laughs> so you you talk about, you know, going back to school, you know, racking up student debt and whatnot. You, you've found your career path. You found what you're willing to do. How did you end up getting funding when you had more student debt than you had, you know, money in your account? It all comes down to one word, and that's monetization. You need to find a way to make money, period. And the funny thing about it, like we mentioned earlier, is money comes from doing something others can't do or won't do, or sometimes both. So I'm a former car salesman, and because I sold cars, I know how to present, sell, overcome objections, market, do operations, believe it or not, get good customers, 
get have good customer satisfaction because in the car dealership nowadays, you don't get paid your bonus unless they give you a good survey. So you pretty much have to know how to take a really confrontational situation, get a little bit more confrontational as needed to get over the objection, yet still have them walking out the door wanting to give you all fives out of five on on the survey. Mm-hmm. That is a tremendous skill to have built up over the years. So, you know, for me, and really anyone listening in, I, I think that, you know, to, to kind of go on a bit of a tangent here, I think it's really, really important to um, to understand that even if you feel stuck at a job and you feel like you're going a whole lot of nowhere, that you really are building skills where you're at. And like they say, 20, your 20s are about learning and your 30s are about earning. And although that is definitely true for me, when it came, when it came down to it, when we found our first deal ever, we had no money and it was a 1.5 and change million dollar acquisition. And because it was a really hairy deal, it required 65% LTV, which means we needed several hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm. to buy the deal. So basically we had to go out, we found a guy from California we partnered with and basically we were like, look, we got this seller to say yes and say yes to us. We think that's worth something. So they agreed. They gave us a finder's fee. We kept a sliver of that in that deal. So we had like 3% ownership and we took the rest of it out so we could buy that next deal like I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say all of that and it is because feeling stuck at the car dealership and then feeling stuck at the bank and then and my, and feeling stuck in my other jobs in the moment was awful. But the truth was that built up skills that were vital to getting started with nothing because I, I had nothing. I had more student loan debt than cash to invest in in mobile home parks. And because I had the ability to persuade and negotiate and, and do all of that stuff, I was comfortable finding willing sellers to sell me their properties for reasonable prices and, fi- and go out there and network and find people who would want to take a chance on me, so to speak, to partner with me invest from an investor standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then once I had that, then I had a little bit of money. So then when I bought my second deal, we could take a bigger chunk of that deal. And then obviously we had to bring on an investor. And, and what we've kind of learned the backwards way is that actually other people's money is the way to scale up in real estate is to, to not have to, you can hit a much better money multiplier when you, when you leverage other people's money, if you're willing to give up that equity. Um, that being said, you know, how did I get to the point where I was working full time? You know, I was working at a bank and they were paying me pretty well to have a master's degree and have a nice cushy job. Like, how did I do it? Well, how I did it was I realized that people in real estate love talking about deals and they love yeah. doing due diligence and they love raising money and they absolutely hate everything about operating the mobile home parks. <laughs> hate it. And I said, I can do that. Yeah, I might have I might have been an awful landlord when it was my buddies, but this is my livelihood now. Right. And so that's when I moved to the mobile home park is I went, you know what? I can pay myself this salary. And I can literally cut all of, almost all my expenses and go and live there. And yeah, I'm not making that much money, but I have equity in this deal. So I can think about it like, oh man, I'm only making $35,000 a year, no benefits. 
Or I can think about it like I'm getting an education here that's going to make my assumptions better. That's going to make my pro formas more accurate because I understand it. I'm going to be able to speak that language more. And more importantly, I'm going to be able to go full time. Mm-hmm. Because, and I remember this, I got this lesson from someone and I absolutely love it. I was talking to a, a home flipper who was stuck at, a, at an accounting job. And he was like, man, I got two little girls and you know, I'm in my early 30s and it's May or April and I've already flipped three homes this year. I'm like, that's incredible. You got a full-time job and two like little, little girls and you still found time to flip three homes. I'm like, dude, why aren't you full-time doing this? And he hit me with this and I love it. And he knows it because I've told him. I actually did on my podcast, I did an episode about him. He goes, he hits me with the Austin Powers. So if you've ever seen Austin Powers, there's a, a fat bad guy who says, in so many words, I eat because I'm sad, and I'm sad because I eat. And so this guy hit me with that line. He says, I can't buy more deals because I don't have time, and I don't have time because I'm not full-time because I don't have enough deals. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, there's your answer. Your answer is your number one limiting factor is you don't have enough time to find these, but you've proven with one hand tied behind your back, you can go out there and you can do it. So why not bet? I was like, dude, if you quit today and took a year, could you get another, if you just failed epically, do you think you'd get another job a year from now? He's like, I hate you so much right now. Yes, I could get another job. (laughs) I was like, dude, then there's your answer. You don't like... Cause he wanted to sit down with me and I'm like, dude, I don't know much about home flipping, but I'll sit down with you cause I'll talk to anyone. And you know, I told him, I was like, dude, you, you, you already knew the answer to this question before you asked me. And you're, you're joking that you hate me right now because you realize that you're investing in a sunk cost and you're realizing that it's scary to take a big risk on yourself. And all I am being, I told him, I'm like, dude, I am not that smart of a guy. I'm not. I've read a bunch of books. I've talked to a bunch of people. I might sound wise, but truth is, I'm just regurgitating what other people have said. And in my 32 years, I've seen some some cool things. So I, I I may seem smart, but the truth is, all I am being to you right now is the mirror. I I can't make you do anything, but as a mirror, I can show you. And you have two choices: you can either create a delusion and double down on this these sunk costs, or you can go, "Wow, that's what I look like." That's awful. But guess what? <laughs> now that I know, I can do something about it. Absolutely. You only know what you know, right? So, I mean, it's good to see yourself in the mirror every once in a while. Uh, I really like that story because there's there's a lot of people there in similar situations of, I don't have the money, I don't have the time. But if I had the time and the money, I could do it. And they're just not willing to... Uh, put themselves out there and, you know, see that they could do it. Uh, so sometimes they need somebody like Ryan to uh, kind of reflect back at them, right? <laughs> exactly. Very cool. Uh, so you obviously understand the the aspect of hustling, but how would you personally define the word hustle? So this is kind of a silly example, but I, one of my life goals was to be fluent in Spanish Mm -hmm. and I would like to think I'm fluent in Spanish. Now my Spanish teacher would probably have a heart attack if she heard me speak Spanish. (laughs) But the thing is, 
I, I guess I kind of realized that I was truly fluent in Spanish when I had uh, one of my residents call me. And we're talking on the phone, and, he, and he, he's like, in so many words, I got pulled over by the cops. Can you talk to the cop? So he puts the phone on speaker, and I found myself thrust into a situation where I was literally trying to help a guy talk himself out of a speeding ticket. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, wow, this guy doesn't speak a word of English. And this police officer doesn't speak a word of, of Spanish. And I am literally translating for both of them. Um, my grammar is atrocious. My accent is hilarious. <laughs> but here's the thing. It works. And so that was kind of a big moment for me. But the question is, how does that relate to hustle? Well, I remember when I went full-time in mobile home parks, which was coming up on three years ago. So in five years, it took me two years to go full-time, and now I'm about to hit um, my three-year anniversary of going full-time. And I remember the day I quit my banking job, I started Duolingo, which is a free app. They do not pay me, so this is not an ad. But it's a free app, and I do the insane mode, which is like 15 minutes a day. And it keeps the streak going. So I'm at like 920-something days in a row. Wow. So I'm about to hit 1,000 days in a row, and I'm about to basically have practice Spanish for plus or minus 15 minutes a day every day for nearly going on three years now. Mm-hmm. And the thing of it is, my business partner, although he will, he's competitive, so he, he'll never admit that we were basically on the same level of Spanish when we both started out. He, he would all, oh, you had a good bit. You had a better base. <laughs> uh, so he's, he's funny about that. But the truth of the matter is, when we started off, I convinced him to download Duolingo, and he was kicking my butt mm-hmm. in terms of the experience every week. He would, he would, you know, it would tell you every Sunday if you, you won your little group or whatever. Yeah. So for the first several weeks, he would just kick my butt. And then he stopped doing Duolingo and he started doing something that Tim Ferriss talked about on one of his podcasts or something. So he spent a bunch of money and then he hired someone in Colombia to talk to him on Skype. And he like spent all his money and spent all his time. And then he stopped like two months into it. And I don't know, a year or so ago, he, he told me, he was like, look, man, I was going to spend all this time and all this money to get better than, at you than Spanish and then rub it in your face. <laughs> and he was like, You're, you, you ended up being right and I ended up being wrong because you didn't spend any money. Sorry, Duolingo, but I do the free one. You didn't spend any money. You, you're slow and steady went won the race. Mm-hmm. And so now anytime there's anything Spanish related, it's, it almost always comes from me. Ian's, Ian can speak Spanish, but you know, it's, he, it always comes through me. I'm the fluent one of the two of us. And, and why does that have anything to do with hustle? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because it's really easy to get drunk on a hype story. Oh, buy my ab blaster. Or go and try this diet. Or get Rosetta Stone. Or whatever, whatever. Or, or you know, insert some marketer convincing you to do something, to, which ultimately they're going to make a profit on, right? The truth of the matter is, success is not sexy. As as you heard, I, I like am I smart? Sure. Like I, I guess I'm smart enough to get in to hang out with the smart kids, but then I'm basically the the dumb one and the group of smart ones. So I'm not that smart. I'm also not that hardworking. 
If you could see me right now, I'm still in my PJs because I have a five-month-old who loves to spit up everywhere, so I don't wear nice clothes. <laughs> I'm on my couch. I slept in this morning. It was wonderful. I got up at about 7.30 a.m. my time. Like I'm not overly, I'm not one, not even close to one percent smart. I'm not even close to one percent hardworking. But I was one percent willing to do what others weren't willing to do. And success is not sexy. It is not sexy. Anytime you watch ESPN and you watch those highlight reels, you are not seeing the countless hours of watching film, the countless hours in the weight room, the countless hours trying to improve your ability to catch a football uh, or or hit a jump cut. You know, it, it, there there's so many. When Kobe Bryant first dribbled a basketball, it wasn't beautiful like it is today, right? right? So it's no different here. It is you can spend a bunch of money and and run a sprint, or you can go slow and steady and run a marathon. So what is hustling to me? Hustling to me is my streak on Duolingo right now, which is nine hundred and twenty something days. I got to go do it today. Yeah, and I hopefully will hit many thousands of days in a row on it, if nothing else, just to show the world what success really is. So, what is hustling to me? Hustling to me is showing up every day for fifteen minutes. You don't not have fifteen minutes. <laughs> Everyone has fifteen minutes. You you have to. You either find a way to do it or you find an excuse. So, if it means something to you. Find a way to find 15 minutes every day, no excuses to get it done. That is hustling. That absolutely is hustling. I, I appreciate that. There's, I've never gotten the exact same answer whenever I've asked that question, and they're all right. But I love, I love that. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, you know, me working out at the gym. You know, I didn't think I had time. All I had to do was start waking up at. 4.30 in the morning, <laughs> yep. going to the gym before my kids woke up so I could still help get them ready for school and be a dad and whatnot. But uh, it you can make 15 minutes. You just have to be committed. And yep. it, I love the the fact that you're, you're almost at a thousand days straight on that because that shows incredible consistency and that will win the race. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. So I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. This has really been an awesome story, though. I, I love that you mentioned, you know, you're, you're taking a major pay cut and seeing it as a learning experience rather than, oh, I can't believe I'm only making this much money. I mean, it really, that's better than uh, not to downplay your master's degree, but it's better than a master's degree in practical life experience of going through that and seeing it as a learning experience and uh, using it in that way, which is awesome. But I, I kind of want to ask you real quick, you know, what, what is it that excites you about the future right now? Helping people. I absolutely find higher meaning and purpose in what I do by helping others. And so this year in 2019, I, other than witnessing the birth of my son, my other top moments this year in, it are all chari- almost exclusively chari- charity related. I absolutely love helping others start businesses, even if I don't get a penny in return. I, I don't care. I absolutely love giving advice and, and coaching others and connecting others. And I started a partial college scholarship this year for folks living in my communities. I, I offered to pay for their college apps 
we've done free food giveaways, Bible studies. We're talking about partnering with financial literacy, charity causes. And I'm constantly looking for, for more ways to give back. And, and, and it all comes down to what is going to make me not stop, mm-hmm. right? What is going to keep on the hustle? And for me, what brings me way more happy? Because I, I had a big financial milestone this year. I became an accredited, an accredited investor. Which was been on a which is to me I never thought I would hit that at 32 years old, mm-hmm. and I did that. But that is way down my list of things I am proudest of achieving in 2019. And I think the reason why that's that's important is because if you're listening in and you you want to start a business because you hear you're going to make a lot of money, I will tell you, is it fun to make a lot of money? Yes. Absolutely. Sitting there and having your attorney look at the piece of paper that you're about to sign and go, oh, wow. I'm, I'm, that's, wow. It's really cool. <laughs> like, that's really cool. But, dude, helping, right? I, when I, I almost started crying writing our first acceptance letter for our, our college scholarship. Mm-hmm. We paid off this woman's bed. It was, uh, it's on my website if you want the story. Her name is Miss Joyce. We paid off. Uh, she basically went to a, a rent-a-center to buy a bed. It was a really sad situation. And yeah. she was getting raked over the coals with this ridiculous loan that we went and paid off for her. Mm-hmm. That, that made me so much more happy than hitting a financial goal. Growing my company. growing my co- We hit our 10th mobile home park this year. Now we're at 12. That was cooler than becoming an accredited investor. So, it, it, you know, what, what am I excited for the future? Am I excited to make more money? Yeah, sure. Like, any, you're, everyone who's ever made money goes, it's fun to make money. Yes, it is. But here's the thing. It's just as fleeting as alcohol or drugs or any instant gratification. It is so unfulfilling. Filling. And when I'm 80-something looking back on my life, I'm, am I going to think back? Like, on my deathbed, am I going to think back on all the money I made? Maybe for a second, but really I'm more going to be focused on how many people I helped. So to me, what am I excited about for the future? By far and away, helping others. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is absolutely more gratifying uh, in my experience to, to help people rather than make any certain dollar amounts. So but I want to give you some time here to you know, let people know where to find you uh, and where to connect with you. Like Tupac says, I ain't hard to find. I think I'm the only Ryan Naris in the world. So my name is, it's uh, N-A-R-U-S. That's N like Nancy. You Google me. I'm pretty sure my LinkedIn is the first thing that comes up. I am a hound on LinkedIn. I love it. I, I don't care who you are or where you are. If you want to connect on LinkedIn, if you want to shoot me an email uh, via my website, ArchimedesGRP.com, you will find I am incredibly warm. I... I don't care who you are, where you are, what you need. I am happy to help you and I do not expect a thing in return. And I I really hope that my words have inspired you. And if they have, I I really hope going one more level from that, I really hope that my words have inspired you to go out and help others. Because to me, I I think I can do, I want to leave the world a better place because I was here. And I've, I've realized that I, I'm only going to make so much money that I can give away. I'm only going to have so many hours in a day to use helping others. 
So if I, so the only way to really get scale is to help others go and help others. So if for you, you want to spend more time doing charity, but you've got to free up your time by, by chasing your dream and going full time in your side hustle first, I will help you get there. I mean that. I don't need a thing in return. Like I am so happy to help you get there, if, especially if that means that you'll go out and help others. So please don't, don't feel like you owe me anything. Reach out to me. I am happy to help. I'm looking forward to connect. That's very, very generous of you. And uh, I I like how you put it, that you're scaling it. You're you're scaling the ability to impact more people by helping other people impact more people. I should probably Uh, say this too. I also have a a podcast of my own. It's called Mobile Home Parks in Real Life, MHP IRL. If anything that I've said about owning and operating mobile home parks or even just being a real estate entrepreneur sounds interesting to you, I have a ton of free content. I, again, I'm not selling anything. I'm not raising any money. I, I have episodes like starting with nothing where I literally talk about how you can build a real estate company with zero dollars. So, uh, and I got videos and blogs. So if you like to watch, if you like to read, if you like to listen, whatever, it is all free. It will hopefully always be free. I literally, my, what I want out of this is, is good people to go start good businesses and then go out and be good people in the world. Very cool. Yes. So I'll make sure to include links to all these, uh, your website, your LinkedIn and uh, your podcast as well uh, in the description. I know I've gotten a lot of value out of this. So I know you've gotten a lot of value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle the day. Thanks for listening to the hustle the day podcast all the way through. I really appreciate that. I just want to let you know that I help small businesses with their online strategy. So if you or anyone that you know needs help with their online strategy and owns a small business, I'm your guy. Go ahead and connect with me at Trent V. Bray on Instagram or TrentVBray.com.